From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. This is a long haul that we're in. This is not going to be a a two-week disaster that we're going to be able to wave the flag in two weeks and say we're done. So we have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of our, our teams and then rally our teams to take care of the teams around us. That's Dan Diamond on the importance of teamwork in combating the COVID-19 crisis. Our special series continues this week with the MD known as the International Disaster Doc. But first, a word from our sponsor. Could workflow inefficiencies be preventing you from providing better care? Midmark is focused on developing solutions that help you uncover these inefficiencies, optimize workflow, and improve the patient experience. The Midmark Real-Time Locating System, or RTLS, can reduce wait times by moving patients efficiently through their visits, increase patient throughput by utilizing space effectively, and automatically collect data to give you additional insights on further workflow improvements. Contact Midmark today to see how they're transforming the way healthcare is delivered. For more information, visit midmarkrtls.com. Healthcare professionals across the country and globe are continuing to put their safety at risk as the COVID-19 crisis carries on. And when it comes to crisis management, there aren't many with more experience than this week's guest, Dan Diamond. An author, speaker, and coach, Dan has been among the first response teams following disasters in New Orleans, Haiti, the Philippines, and others. On April 17th, he'll help close MGMA 20, the operations conference online with a keynote session titled, Unstoppable, Leading Change in a High Stakes World. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here, my friend. Um, These are some challenging days and I'm looking forward to having a good conversation with you about how we can get through these times um, and actually come out the other end healthier. Absolutely. Now you're an international disaster physician. You've been in the trenches all around the world. It's in during some of the biggest disasters of our times. One of those, you were the medical triage unit director following Hurricane Katrina. Wanted to just get your idea briefly, what, what is it like there when you land there, when you're a first responder, I'm thinking there must be a lot of chaos then what, what's the first emotion that you feel when you get on the ground? Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of chaos. Cause I go from seeing patients in the office to hitting the eject button. Uh, and you know, within 24 to 48 hours, we're boots on the ground in the middle of these disasters. And when we get in we're I'm on the very first in, in teams, uh, there isn't any infrastructure, so we don't have communication. We don't have electricity oftentimes. Uh, there is definitely no supply chain um, where we bring in enough food to live for two weeks on our own completely independently. We bring in water filtration. We try to find local water that's safe, but we have filtration if we need to. Uh, so, yeah, we come in and everybody's kind of standing around, scratching their heads, going, what in the world are we going to do? And that's my sweet spot is being able to come in Uh, and get the ball rolling, get the team set up. Yeah, with COVID-19 just spreading throughout the globe and and now hitting the U.S. very hard, we keep hearing about PPEs, um, personal protective equipment. 
that's a term that might be new to a lot of people, not in healthcare, but obviously with you being a, a doctor and being a first responder, you're well aware of that. We're hearing about the shortages of those here. Is, is that a problem when you're on the ground uh, throughout the world, when you're in Haiti, when you're in New Orleans after Katrina? Is, is that an issue? No, it's not an issue in a disaster like that because in a storm, uh, most of the contagious disease that we're seeing uh, is food and waterborne. Okay. Not, it's not in the air and it's not on surfaces. So um, we still practice hand washing. Even though we don't have water, we'll take hand sanitizer with us and we use it frequently throughout the day. Um, but we're not scrambling to try to find masks. We don't usually end up wearing masks in, in those situations. We see a lot of people that come in with um, diarrheal diseases, upper respiratory illnesses, um, infectious disease that's more cellulitis and wound related. Uh, or we'll see people that just couldn't get in to see their doctors because the healthcare system was completely derailed. So we do see all kinds of stuff, but, we, but PPE is not necessarily an issue. We bring gloves, uh, but we're not worrying about wearing N95 masks. It's real here. You know, I'm in the Seattle area. And, and it kind of all started here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, we had the first patient in Seattle. And uh, when I was in clinic, I only work one or two shifts a month because most of the work I'm doing now is working with organizations on leadership under pressure and, you know, leading teams successfully in high pressure situations. So um, I'm only in the clinic one or two shifts a month. But when I got there, I was like, hey, you guys have any N95 masks? They said, no, we don't have any masks. Well, I brought my own. <laughs> so, so I had my mask to wear. I wore the same mask the whole shift, the eight-hour shift with it. Uh, and they were telling us, you know, if we were doing a procedure and we had to wear gowns, we needed to save the gowns because we had to wear them on more than one patient. Mm -hmm. You know, six months ago, if I would have done that, they would have fired me. And now they're saying, no, this is, this is how we have to do it now. So it's real. Um, and it is a huge problem. Right. Well, we were talking about that, you being around the world in, in just some of the worst hotspots, worst disasters that we've seen. And so from your extensive background, what's been going through your mind as you've seen this unfold across the globe, but then hit home? Like you said, you're, you're in Washington state, you're in the U.S., so you're seeing it hit us. So what's kind of been your mindset as you're seeing this unfold? What a great question, because it's, it's a different deal when it hits home. Uh, you know, when I got deployed to Haiti, I know in my heart of hearts, I can still go home at some point. My house is still going to be there. And now with this disaster, it's not just Washington State. It's not just the U.S. It's an international. It's global. And so there isn't any place where, where you can go, well, I can just go to that place and I'll be totally fine. Uh, so this is, a, this is a little bit different situation. And, and frankly, I found myself a couple of weeks ago when it really first started to launch here in the Seattle area. I found myself at about three o'clock in the morning sitting on the edge of my bed, freaked out, worried, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I had this conversation that went something like, uh, hey, Diamond, you're an international disaster doc you know better than to get yourself all worked up. Just buck up and go back to sleep. And that didn't work. <laughs> I sat there, you know, kind of leaning against the wall going, oh my gosh, this isn't good. And then I remembered some of the stuff that I know and that I teach on self-compassion. And, and the first 
most important step in self, self-compassion is to realize that you're hurting. So I just mm-hmm. stopped and I went, man, you're pretty afraid, aren't you? You know, it's like, it's, it's almost like you kind of pull back and look at yourself and go, wow, you're feeling afraid. And that's a huge step away from, I am afraid. When I can move from, I am afraid to, oh, I'm feeling afraid. That's a different viewpoint that gives me some choice. And then what I do is to show up with kindness towards myself and say, man, I could see why you'd be afraid. This is, this is potentially a really big deal. Um, you know, yeah, you've got all kinds of experience all over the place, but it's okay that you're sitting here on the edge of your bed right now. And, and you know, I could understand why you'd want to. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting, it's a conversation nobody gets to hear except me. And then I was able to go, you know, you're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. I understand that you're hurting. I appreciate that. Get back in bed. Let's try to go back to sleep again and just kind of calm back down. And I was able to regroup and I went back to sleep again. It didn't work to beat myself up saying, you're a disaster doc. You should be tough. Buck up. That doesn't work, even though they trained us that way in medical school. Um, but what really works better is to be kind to yourself and realize that um, everybody's struggling with this right now. Yeah. What does being kind to yourself mean, though? Is it allowing you to just go, I'm, I'm not going to be perfect in this situation, or some things may not go, may not have the outcome that I want it to, and you, you just have to do your best? What, what is that mindset? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm tuning in and listening to the internal conversation that I'm having. Am I, am I talking to myself the way that I would want, or that I would talk to somebody I cared about? Or am I going to, you know, yell at myself inside and say, don't be, don't be an idiot. You know, that kind of conversation is not helpful. Kindness is, man, I know you're hurting and I can understand why this is kind of a scary time for everybody and it's okay. Um, You know, the big question that I asked myself when I came back from uh, Hurricane Katrina was not why are there so many victims? My big question is, what is it about some of these people around here that they don't become victims? know, because we were hanging out with these people that had lost their homes, their cars, all their clothes, all their belongings. The only thing they had left was the clothes they had in their back. And they were still leaning in and making a difference and doing tremendously important work. I mean, just leaving a legacy kind of stuff. I thought, I want to be like that. I don't know that I am. You know, you don't know until the disaster strikes. But I, but I had a fairly good chance at that point when I was doing that and and, you know, this is back in 2005, that there, there's this question of would I become a victim and just sit on the curb and cry, or would I get off the curb and start making a difference and in investing in the lives of other people? And part of that, the difference between those is the direction that I face. So with kindness, I try to come back to myself and say, hey, man, what are you looking at? Are you looking at the problem? Are you focused on the potential negative outcomes or have you turned and faced the other way and said, what a great opportunity to reach out to people and express kindness. What a great opportunity to serve the people in the neighborhood, uh, to serve my team at work, to bring uh, encouragement and hope. This is, you know, what, what a great opportunity to rally teams. Cause if my, if I can rally my team to thrive in this situation, man, it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were talking something really interesting there, talking about having that 
sort of an existential crisis at 3 a.m., sitting at the edge of your bed, just kind of questioning what's going on. But as you've mentioned, this is a team effort. These are teams working together to pull together and to help patients. Um, But there have been they're under a lot of stress right now. You were talking about equipment shortages. We've seen uh, through the media, a lot of uh, healthcare workers get sick. Uh, some have died. And so there's a lot of stress there as well. How do you turn that, that internal focus of, of kind of pulling yourself up and, and getting through this and then turning to that team as well? Because you've been a leader um, in the field, uh, you know, at, at some of these disaster areas. So how do you kind of be the leader there and bring them through these just really horrific times right now? I, the most important thing was to realize that it wasn't about me. You know, if I, if I look at it like it's all about me and I, you know, and make all the decisions about how, um, you know, I'm in charge here and, and you're gonna do it the way that I say, uh, that's not helpful. If I look at it from the perspective of I'll do anything I can to help my team be successful, that means I need to take the time to understand what my team needs. So one of the questions that, that we ask, uh, what's keeping you up at night? You know, what are you struggling with? What do you need? Where's your, what, what are you lacking? What are your risks that you're trying to struggle with and where are you trying to go? Um, I'm really interested in where you're trying to end up more than I am the ugliness of your current situation. I want to know where you are and what you need to get there. And then I see my job as a leader of being a conduit. So I'm going to connect people that have resources with people that don't have resources. And then I want to get out of the way and allow that relationship to flourish. So we get there. One of my, when we first get boots on the ground, one of my first priorities is to find out what other organizations are there, um, what they have, what they're looking for, what their goals are, because I want to know if I can support them anyway. So I'm looking at it like, uh, you need an x-ray bulb. I got an x-ray bulb, I think, in, in our x-ray in our hospital. Come over, you can have it. Um, you want to borrow one of my people? Absolutely, you can borrow one of my people. You know, it's, and, we, and we share back and forth. It's amazing what you can get done if you don't care who gets the credit. And it's amazing what you can get done when you back up and you think, rather than saying, those people over there, those registration people, those billing people, those administrators, they don't get it. Rather than doing that, I want to do um, what I learned from Brian Stevenson. He's the guy that wrote Just Mercy. Um, This concept of proximity, where I come shoulder to shoulder with you and say, um, would you help me to understand what's going on in your world right now? What your needs are? I want to show up with kindness and openness and curiosity, and then look for opportunities as a leader to be able to use some of the resources that I have or resources that I know somebody else has, and then connect it to the the need for that person. And then I want to ask them, hey, what are you really good at? What have you guys recently solved? Um, And what resources do you have? Because I might want to be able to, to connect your resources to somebody else's need. So I think, you know, leadership, I would define as influencing other people not as a role. So could you have a leader that's a medical assistant? Absolutely. 
and a guy named Brian Gherkin who was a medical assistant that I worked with for a couple of years. And I would show up in the morning and he would say, hey, Diamond, what can I do to make your life great today? Think he had any influence on me? Absolutely he did. Because he was looking not at what is he going to get out of the day. He was looking at how could he help me to be successful. Uh, and so we would sit down and talk about a couple of ideas for the day. And then, I'd, and then I would, of course, say, what can I do to help you be successful today, man? Um, you know, and we built a really good, strong relationship. We're still, still good buddies. Uh, and, you know, how, how can we help other people when we're in these difficult times? And healthcare was difficult before COVID-19. But all the more so now, we need to show up with each other and, and bring kindness and openness and curiosity and ask great questions on how we can support each other. Um, and it makes it, it makes it doable. It makes it workable uh, to get through these really difficult times. The worst thing we can do is become focused on the problem, think that we're the only one, get angry with everybody, and then withdraw. You know, COVID is not going to go anywhere anytime soon. We're going to be wrestling with this for a while. So we might as well wrestle with this together as a healthy team that cares for each other. Yeah, one of the key issues in healthcare, as you were mentioning before, before this pandemic, is burnout. Healthcare workers face burnout um, in normal situations. So now we're talking about a uh, extraordinary situation. Burnout will be at the forefront here as well. So when you've been in the field for these different disasters, how do you prepare your team? to guard against burnout and how do you work with it if someone is just just can't take it anymore and does need to uh, take some time off then let me let me tell you a little story about when I almost killed my team <laughs> it's not the kind of thing I should say in a podcast you know because then everybody will know that I'm not perfect <laughs> but I'm not and I'm not gonna hide behind this you know big charade of I got my act all together uh, because I think there's lessons to be learned from my mistake. So when we got to Haiti, we were diverted to an airport on the opposite side of the island because we couldn't get into the main airport because people were flying in blankets to this 80-degree weather, and they flew these airplanes in and didn't realize there wasn't any fuel to get back. And so pretty soon the airport was full of planes, full of blankets, not the stuff we needed, and we couldn't get in. Um, so anyway, we flew to the, to the opposite side of the island. We had to drive in across these roads that had been destroyed by the earthquake. Uh, it was some pretty hairy driving. We got into um, King's Hospital in Port-au-Prince, and our team was assigned to get King's Hospital back online. And I don't know if you've ever been in the aftermath of an earthquake, but it was kind of like somebody had picked this hospital up, shook it a couple of times, and put it back on the foundation again. Hmm. Every All the shelves were tipped over and laying on the floor. All the glassware was broken. All the liquids that used to be in the gla glassware were all over the floor. So, and then when we got there, we're, so we were there on, a, I think it was about day five or so after the earthquake. There was a line of people waiting to be seen that had open fractures. Open fractures on day five. So we felt compelled to really work hard to get the hospital up and running. So we got in and we started cleaning and mopping and sweeping up all the glass, putting the shelves back up. We 
had only one anesthesia machine that would work, and the Canadians um, brought in a second anesthesia machine. They dropped it by helicopter on our roof, and then we carried it down, got it all set up, had had um, two operating rooms going, had three orthopedic surgeons that were amazing at doing field work without x-ray. Amazing. Uh, And we were seeing patients from the crack of dawn until dusk, and then we had to leave because it wasn't safe to stay there at night. So we were seeing as many patients as we could. We were just really putting them through. And then somebody comes up on the third day of doing this, and they said, hey, Diamond, did you see the crack? I said, no, what crack? And they said, come with me. And the, the operating suite was cantilevered out off the front of this building at about probably 12 feet off the ground. And there was a crack running right up the side of the building. The operating suite was about ready to fall off the front of the building. And it wasn't like I'm... <laughs> It wasn't like I didn't know what the problem was because I had been all over town meeting, meeting with all these other teams and doing all this stuff. I had seen the front of many buildings that had fallen off from the earthquake. And it wasn't that I could point my finger at anybody else because in the incident command structure, until I've assigned the role of safety officer to somebody else, I am the safety officer. So there was nowhere to point the fingers except at myself and at the crack and go, Oh my gosh. So we finished up the cases that we were on. We evacuated the building and went down to the United Nations, found some engineers, I think from Spain or someplace. And they came, looked at it, and we figured out how to build some pilings up to support the front of the building. The point is, I was so focused on taking care of this long line of patients with open fractures that was suffering that I almost killed my team. When, when, I, when I hear people say, we have this model now of wellness, and at the center is patient wellness, all I can see is the crack on that building. And I'm thinking, no, at the center of it needs to be healthcare professional wellness. Because if we don't stay healthy, the whole thing comes crashing down. <laughs> so I have to learn some of this stuff the hard way. I will never make that mistake again. Never. So when I'm looking now at my teams, my biggest concern is, how are you doing? Are you okay? Did you get enough sleep last night? Are you getting at least seven or eight hours of sleep? You know, and this is the family, da- family doc starts coming out. And I can't help it. Are you staying away from the alcohol? Staying away from the drugs? Are you getting some time out in nature and going for a walk? looking at a tree or looking at the sky or, or something? Are you getting on Zoom and connecting with the people that you love? I, I want to know that stuff. I look at it like when I show up, I want to be invested in myself, making sure that I'm showing up ready to contribute. Am I invested in my team? Like I actually care about them as human beings, make sure that they're taking care of themselves. It's okay to go sleep. It's not okay to work three days without sleeping. I mean, we all know what happens when you're sleep deprived, that your error rate goes up to the same as somebody that's legally drunk. So it's not okay. And it's not okay for you as an individual to do that. It's not okay for the patients either. Um, and then, uh, then I want to rally my team to start thinking about the teams around us to say, what can I do to help these other guys be successful? You know, when we're in a disaster zone, I'm looking at it. Okay. How do I interact with, uh, 
guys from the University of Miami, how do I interact with the Israelis and the Japanese teams that's here? What can I do to help them be successful if we don't care who gets the credit? Um, and that translates directly. This is a long haul that we're in. This is not going to be a, a two-week disaster that we're going to be able to wave the flag in two weeks and say we're done. This is going to be a long haul. So we have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of our, our teams and then rally our teams to take care of the teams around us. Yeah, you're, you're the closing keynote speaker at MGMA's Operation Conference. Uh, that's a virtual conference. It's going to be uh, on April 17th. One of the things that you, you're going to be talking about in researching your, your presentation, it's you bring up this idea of being unstoppable. And yeah. I just want to know, what does unstoppable mean to you? You know, this goes back to some of the, the reading that I've done by Viktor Frankl. He was an Austrian psychiatrist captured by the Nazis, spent seven years in the concentration camps. Um, he said that between stimulus and response is the space. And in that space is my power to choose. And that's where we experience growth and freedom is in that space between the stimulus and response. So, and he also said that uh, nobody can take away our right to choose. He described it as the last of human freedoms. So no matter how bad things get, I always get to choose how I'm going to respond. And that's huge. So that's the, you know, when I think about the power of mindset and disaster and why some people don't become victims, the ones that don't become victims are the ones that believe that they have the power to choose how they're going to respond. Uh, that's part of it. And the other part of it is um, the thrivers, the people that use the thriver mindset in these high stress situations, um, when, you, when it gets down to purpose, they're givers. The victims are takers. They're powerless takers. They're the ones that say, you know, nobody's taking care of me. I don't, I don't have enough toilet paper. I better get a six year supply of toilet paper because you never know when they're going to start making it again. And so the rest of us are scrambling, trying to figure out if we should use both sides of the toilet paper now. Um, you know, it's like it, it, victims will hoard. Um, they'll take your supplies. They'll, they'll take your energy. They'll suck the life right out of you if you're not careful. Now, when I say victims, I mean the victim mindset. <laughs> you know, the victim mindset is tasty. It's a, it's a, it's a delicious place to go. Uh, the controller mindset that says, I have, the, I have the power and it's all about me. The bystander says, is the powerless giver that says, um, wow, somebody should do something, but they, they don't even realize that they have the power to do anything. It never occurs to them that they, should do, they could do anything. The thriver is the one that says, I have the power to make a difference. It's not about me and I don't care who gets the credit. So the thriver is the powerful giver. You can translate powerful giver into unstoppable love. And we don't talk much about unstoppable love. We don't talk much about love in medicine until recently. And, and people are talking about it more and more. And I think that's because of the, the discouragement that comes along with burnout. Um, but then when you throw a major international global disaster on top of it, now it's okay for us to talk about unstoppable love. So I'm asking the question, and I would encourage people to ask this question frequently throughout the day. What does unstoppable love look like here now? You know, unstoppable love means I get out of my chair and I go help. Unstoppable love means 
um, I, I reach out to my colleagues and I say, are you doing okay? Are you really doing okay? Because you know I care about you and I got your back. Um, and some, sometimes unstoppable love is um, I go to my colleagues and I say, hey, you know, I'm really hurting. Can I just grab your ear for a while? Can we talk? Because there's a fierceness with unstoppable love. You think like a lion, you know. There's a fierceness there um, that uh, will protect the people on your team from harm. Um, but I also have to have a tenderness that's willing to drop my guard and say, you know, I'm hurting right now and I really need some help. And so the, the last thing we want is for people to think, well, I'm the only one that's hurting and I look around and the rest of these people look like they have their act all together. I'd rather be on a team where everybody says, oh boy, I'm kind of really struggling. This is the darkest thing I've ever gone through. But it's better to be on a team where there's some transparency and vulnerability and people are willing to step up and say, man, oof, I'm hurting. Um, and that together we become unstoppable. King Solomon, you know, like 2,500 years ago said that a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And it's true. You know, I, my other hobby is I like to sail. And if you, if you have a multi-strand rope, it's way stronger. And the reason it's stronger is because when you pull on it longitudinally, it squeezes those fibers together. So if you and I and Rob are on the same rope together, when we're under pressure, we draw closer together. We become unstoppable together. If I'm by myself, I'm vulnerable. So I try to make sure that I've got... Um, a vulnerable, kind, open relationship with the people on my team. And, and, I, and I try to develop psychological safety. We talk about that a lot in medicine, but we don't really practice it a lot. The easiest way for me to develop psychological safety with my team is for me to be vulnerable and realize that I don't have to have my act together all the time. And I'll tell my team, hey, if I'm doing something and you're looking at it and you're going, dang, that's a dumb idea. Oh my gosh, please tell me. I promise I won't bite your head off. I'm, I'm doing the best I can from my perspective, but I know I only see from my perspective. It's one of the reasons diversity is important is because you know, we, need, we need two different views at least and realizing that I need to have those relationships with people that are different than me, forming a rope. My rope becomes very strong. I always have the choice to be powerful or powerless, to be a giver or a taker. When I choose to be a powerful giver, I can become unstoppable and bring unstoppable love into a very, very difficult situation. Okay. Well, Dan, thanks so much for sharing that story with us and, and for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Daniel. I appreciate it. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to Midmark for sponsoring this week's show. Also, thanks to our guest, Dan Diamond. You can hear his general session at MGMA 20, the Operations Conference Online, April 16th and 17th. For more information or to register, visit mgma.com TOC. To see Dan's resources related to burnout, to find his podcast, or to browse his content specifically focused on COVID-19, visit dandiamondmd.com. Keep an eye out for more in this series as we talk with other healthcare professionals guiding their practices through these difficult times. To keep up with the latest, be sure to visit mgma.com 
slash COVID. You can also connect with fellow members and healthcare peers at community.mgma.com. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.